السلام عليك زين الأنبياء السلام على بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وأفضل الصلاة وأتم التسليم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين اللهم صلي وسلم على سيدنا محمد مفتاح باب رحمة الله عدد ما في علم الله صلاة وسلاما دائمين بدوام ملك الله وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما يا كريم اللهم نوينا التعلم والتعليم والتذكر والتذكير والنفع والانتفاع والإفادة والاستفادة والحث على التمسك بكتاب الله وسنة رسوله والدعاء إلى الهدى والدلالة على الخير ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وقربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى الحمد لله So we're continuing our class, the remedy for the hearts, where we're looking at a beautiful text, a treatise written by Al-Habib Ahmed bin Zayn Al-Habashi, uh, one of the great imams who was a descendant of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam through his grandson, Imam Al-Husayn, and who was also one of the main students of Imam Al-Haddad. That Al-Habib Ahmed bin Zayn was a student of the great Imam Qutb al-Da'wati wal-Irshad, the pole and axis of uh, calling to Allah and guiding people, Imam Al-Haddad. And he benefited tremendously from his company and from his teachings. So he's written this book called Tiryaq al-Qulubi wal-Absar the remedy, the healing for the hearts and the sight uh, related to the meanings and the various types of knowledge found in Sayyidul Istighfar, this uh, uh, prophetic dua known as Sayyidul Istighfar, the foremost or the preeminent formula for seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness, which is in your packet. And inshallah, we said that we were going to start every lesson saying that dua from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So inshallah we'll begin with that and then we'll do a quick recap of the previous lesson and cover what we're going to cover in this lesson inshallah ta'ala. Allahumma anta rabbi la ilaha illa ant khalaqtani wa ana abduk. O Allah, you are my Lord and there is no God except you. You created me and I am your servant. وَأَنَا عَلَىٰ عَهْدِكَ وَوَعْدِكَ مَسْتَطَعْتِ And I am striving to uphold your covenant and your promise to the best of my ability. أَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ شَرِّ مَا I seek refuge in you from the evil of what I have done. أَبُوءُ لَكَ بِنِعْمَتِكَ عَلَيَّ وَأَبُوءُ بِذَنْبِي I acknowledge and confess your blessing upon me and I confess and acknowledge my sin. So forgive me, for no one forgives sins except you. This is Sayyidul Istighfar. This is the preeminent, the supreme uh, formula uh, for seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. And Al-Habib Ahmed bin Zayn radiallahu anhu, he says that there are various types of knowledge, not just meanings, but various types of knowledge. Knowledge related to creed, knowledge related to the spiritual path, knowledge related to the levels of Islam and Iman and Ihsan. The various degrees of nearness and realization of this religion found in this dua from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. So in the first lesson, we looked at some of the counsels and commandments in the Qur'an uh, related to tawbah, related to repentance, and turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and understanding and realizing that this is something that is therapeutic for the soul, that we all need to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As one of the scholars said, that within the heart, there is a feeling of alienation. There is an experience of being alienated and alone that can never be healed, can never be dealt with and removed 
except by filling that with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That your sense of purpose, your sense of meaning, your sense of connectedness, your realization of the purpose for which you were created is by turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is realized in ubudiyah, it's realized in servitude. And that all of the meanings of uh, uh, feeling peace in your soul, feeling tama'nina, feeling serenity, having purpose and direction, all go back to this connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And tawbah, this repentance, is the first step in realizing that you need to turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in the first lesson, we looked at the verses related to tawbah. The second lesson, we looked at the ahadith from the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa talking about the virtue and the blessings and the benefits of turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and stories from the Sahaba of an amazing tawbah that they had. In the third lesson, we looked at the definition of tawbah and that tawbah is turning back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after being set on a path of distance from Him to the path of nearness, turning back and taking the path of nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, doing so by taking the actions and the states of the people who are penitent, the people who turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then also in the last lesson, we looked at the three conditions for the validity of repentance. The first being uh, removing oneself completely, uh, uh, ceasing and desisting from performing that sin. So that's the first thing, is leaving aside the sin altogether. The second is feeling remorse, which is an action of the heart, which is feeling regret, feeling this burning sensation. Why did I do that? I can't believe that I did that. Imam al-Ghazali uh, relates a story in the Ihya Ulum al-Din of a man who came to the Prophet and he wanted to repent. So he said, if I ask Allah for forgiveness for my sins, will Allah forgive me? And the Prophet confirmed that that would be the case. And then the man came back and he said, did Allah see me when I was committing those vile acts? And the Prophet said, yes, Allah was seeing you. And the man let out a powerful yell and scream from the shame that he felt before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That when it, when it hit his heart, when he realized that Allah saw him in that moment, the Lord of the lofty throne, the one who we should have the greatest degree of modesty and humility before subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he realized that Allah saw him, the pain that he felt from that shame overtook him and he yelled and screamed. So that's that nadama, that's that regret and remorse that one should feel in the heart. And then the third condition is the determination never to return to that sin. If a person has these conditions, meets these conditions, then inshallah, their repentance is accepted. And then he says, and if it relates to the rights of another human being, then you have to ask to be absolved of those rights in order to be forgiven. What we're going to look at, inshallah, in this lesson is shurut dawam at tawbah the conditions for the continuity and the permanence of your tawbah. So someone was asking, you know, what about this kind of up and down and trying to make tawbah and then falling back into it? So then the author says, he then gives us advice. It's a beautiful book. He talks about the meaning of tawbah, the conditions. Then he talks about the conditions that have to be met in order for your tawbah to be permanent. So he says, it will not be permanent except with Allah's enabling grace, except with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's tawfiq. And we should ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq. We should say, oh Allah, grant us a tawbah sadiqa nusuha muwaffaqah. Oh Allah, grant us a sincere and true repentance that is also aided by your enabling grace, that has tawfiq and success from you. One of the 
uh, one of the, the, the previous prophets, as Imam Al-Ghazali mentions also in the book of Tawbah from the Ihya, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala admonished him for something that, uh, in relation to the rank that he had as a prophet and messenger before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a prophet, uh, that he shouldn't have done. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, if you make that mistake again, because they say that the greater degrees of nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they require the greatest amount of adab, which is why Prophet Yunus alayhi salam, despite the fact that he didn't go against the commandment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but he didn't seek Allah's permission to leave his people, so he was swallowed by the whale, and he went through that experience, uh, not because he committed a sin, but because he should have known as a prophet and messenger that he would have to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's permission first. Anyway, back to the story. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to this prophet, if you make that same mistake again, I will punish you. And then the, the prophet said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, oh Allah, you are you. Anta, anta, wa ana, ana. You are you. You are the Lord of majesty and perfection and beauty and mercy and generosity. And I'm a human being, despite the fact that obviously he's of the highest and greatest of creation, being a prophet and messenger, but he's still a human being. He said, Oh Allah, unless you grant me your inviolable protection, unless you grant me your isma, unless you protect me from falling into sin, I will surely make a mistake again. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protected him and he never fell into that mistake again. So asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for tawfiq is when we ask Allah, we say, Oh Allah, I am turning to you, but I can only successfully permanently remain on this path with your enabling grace, with your tawfiq. So in addition to asking that from Allah, the author then says, the first thing, and really one of the most important pieces of advice, he says, بِتَرْكِ مُخَالَطَةِ أَصْحَابِ السُّوءِ مَعْ مُخَالَطَةِ أَهْلِ الْخَيْرِ وَالدِّينِ The first thing, if you want your tawbah to be permanent and long-lasting, he says, you have to give up mixing with and being in the company of evil people and bad people. And a lot of times when a person really wants to make a serious change in their life, one of the, th the things that indicates their success or their failure is their ability to remove themselves from bad company. They might have friends that were their friends their entire lives, but they realize that those people are pulling them down, that they are very harmful for them. So when they're able to actually get out of that and be in good company, that's a sign that they've made a significant step and that they're going to make progress in their path to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says the first thing is giving up, mixing with bad company and mixing with the people of goodness and religion. When we looked at the story in the previous lesson, or the lesson before that when we were talking about the ahadith of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and we uh, covered the hadith of the man who killed 100 people. The scholar who he consulted when he asked him, can I make a tawbah? The scholar said, yes, but you have to go to this other land where there are people worshiping Allah and you can worship Allah with them and you can never come back to this land because it's a place of evil people and that bad influence will pull you back. So even in that hadith from the Prophet it indicates to us you have to seek out good people. And even when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verses about the three who stayed behind in, from the battle of Tabuk, and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave them, Sayyidina Ka'ab ibn Malik and the two other sahaba, immediately after Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, informs them of their accepted forgiveness, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu, ittaqullaha wa kunu ma'as-sadiqeen. O you who believe, be mindful of Allah and be with the people of truthfulness. 
be with the people of trueness with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the righteous, the people of goodness and deen. So that's the first condition to have continuous and permanent repentance. The second condition the author mentions is increasing in seriousness as a compensation for what was missed out previously due to one's shortcomings. Is that when a person realizes that how much time has been lost, how many opportunities they might have missed out, then when they want to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they then take things seriously. And the salihin, they actually say that every act of worship that you have could be one where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you an opening and then you have the greatest degrees of nearness to Him. So they say that you should look at every salah, every time you recite the Qur'an, every tasbih, every salah ala nabi sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam, every rak'ah as potentially the one where Allah will give you an opening and remove the veil from your heart and grant you witnessing of Him at a high degree of yaqeen. So when you understand that and when you realize how many opportunities you've missed in the past and that you might not have many opportunities in the time that's left to you, and the time that's left is unknown. It could be years, it could be days, it could be hours. So that a person then has seriousness as a compensation for what he already missed out on previously due to his shortcomings. So a person says, I want to take advantage of it. Someone says, there's a class where you can increase in sacred knowledge. The person says, I want to benefit from that. Someone informs you of a gathering of goodness or the opportunity to visit or meet one of the salihin, one of the awliya, one of the people of piety and knowledge. You take that seriously. You, you have a determination in order to make up for what was missed before because that's part of remorse. Is I don't want to miss out on what I already missed out on. So now I'm going to take it seriously. And then the author says, And then also, one of the things that allows you to continue and maintain this tawbah is having a sadness, a continuous sadness, and weeping over one's negligence. The person feels uh, uh, regret. This also relates to what we were talking about of that regret and remorse in the heart. If only, Ya Allah, I had taken advantage of that. How many righteous scholars had I ha, might have had access to, but because I was in a state of heedlessness, they passed away, and now I won't get the opportunity to ever meet them and benefit from them. How many gatherings of goodness, how much knowledge, how much Qur'an, could I have memorized if I took it more seriously when I was young? And so on and so forth. A person thinks about those things, not to just beat themselves up and say, I'm terrible, I'm worthless, I'm nothing. That's not the point. The point is to say, I remember my mistakes and the bitterness of those mistakes so that I never fall into them again. And when a person has that, then inshallah, they'll be able to maintain their repentance. Then the author moves on to the next section where he talks about This is really beautiful. The motivating cause for repentance. So someone might say, this is all very nice, but I'm just not feeling it. Maybe still, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala help us and assist us and allow us to overcome this. Maybe still someone is, is saying, but the sins that I've become accustomed to, some of the things that I know are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my nafs is so attached to them. And even though I know they're wrong, they're still sweet. So I'm not feeling that remorse in my heart. I don't feel that motivation to turn back to Allah, to make a, a significant change in my life. So then the author says, this is This is the motivating cause that will send 
a soldier into the depths of your heart and soul and shake you and wake you back up. So what are those? He says that there are two things. There are two things that bring about the motivating cause, the ba'ith, this urge, this deep discomfort that shakes you and wakes you up and turns you back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he summarizes them very succinctly. But we should think about these things. We should ponder and reflect what does this really mean. So he says, So the motivating cause for repentance is the heart's awareness after its heedlessness. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can send that awareness in different ways. Oftentimes for people, it's when they're faced with a near-death experience and they're waking up. I almost died. My life was almost sealed. And if it was sealed at that moment, what would I meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with? Is that really going to be the way that my life is defined and people change. You know, and oftentimes there's even stories of people like, for example, Yusuf Islam and uh, others who almost died, that he was out at sea, if I'm not mistaken, and he almost drowned. And he called out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, Ya Allah, if you save me, I'll dedicate my life to you. And then he said that the wave just kind of pushed him and he found himself suddenly and miraculously on the shore. And then soon thereafter, I think his brother gave him a copy of a translation of the Qur'an or something to that effect. But the point is that near-death experience uh, awakens the heart. Another thing that awakens the heart is that it can come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without any outward cause. Another one could be due to meeting the awliya and the salihin and witnessing the true people of Allah that really uh, uh, shakes you out of that slumber. And there are other causes. But when the heart becomes aware after its heedlessness, then it wants to make tawbah. The second thing, and this uh, is more related to what we can do, the steps that we can take to motivate ourselves for repentance, he says it is freeing it from ignorance and being veiled by the desire, being veiled by the shahawat. That the shahawat, these desires, giving into your desires is a veil. And if the heart is veiled, how can it have awareness? And if the heart is ignorant, how can it have awareness? So freeing it from ignorance. How do you free it from ignorance? The Qur'an is the most powerful way to free the heart from ignorance. To give the heart the knowledge that it needs. You know, nowadays people talk about all kinds of interesting things. You know, are we going to live on the moon? Uh, people will talk about all different kinds of things. Are, is there extraterrestrial life out there? Allahu A'lam. I don't know. But what we do know for certain is that we're going to die. And we are going to enter our graves and we're going to be judged. And what I do know is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made me accountable for my actions and has given us guidance and the opportunity to know Him. So what have I done to take advantage of that opportunity rather than talking about all different kinds of possibilities in the world that might or might not happen and really even if they do happen they're not that important in the grand scheme of things because we will go into the akhirah and all that will be haba and manthura all of that will just be scattered dust so that's the ignorance that the heart needs to be freed from do i know in my heart that when the angels ask me in my grave that i will have the steadfastness to answer them that's the question we need to ask ourselves. Do I know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or is my heart ignorant of my Lord? Do I know the purpose of my life? Or is my heart ignorant of that? Do I know of the nearness of death? Or is my heart heedless of that reality? So seeking that knowledge 
which awakens the heart and gives it knowledge of the Akhirah. And the books of Imam al-Haddad and the books of Imam al-Ghazali are some of the most uh, uh, powerful and resourceful books that help give life to the heart, among other books as well and other great Imams. So the heart's awareness after its heedlessness and freeing it from ignorance and the veil of its desires. Why is it that Ramadan is so beneficial for the Ummah? Why is it that every year in Ramadan we feel this revival within the entire community of the Prophet Muhammad that more people are coming to the Masajid, that we connect with the Qur'an at an even deeper level, that we uh, pray at night, that we do all of these things, we're much more careful about falling into the haram, and so on and so forth. Why is that? One of the reasons and one of the wisdoms is that this great pillar of ibadah, this pillar of Islam, which is fasting the month of Ramadan, it actually restrains the nafs. And it withholds us from permissible desires that would be permissible outside of the month of Ramadan, which is food and drink. But even when uh, we're physically withheld from the basic desires that normally we're able to fulfill, we actually have a heightened degree of taqwa and consciousness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Kutiba alaykum as-siyamu kama kutiba ala ladhina min qablikum. Why? That fasting was prescribed upon you as it was prescribed on the people before you. What is the divine wisdom? What is the aim and objective of siyam? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ so that you may grow in taqwa, that you may grow in mindfulness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that you can cultivate and strengthen that mindfulness of Allah, tabaraka wa ta'ala. And what's the connection between siyam and growing in taqwa? Is that your shahawat are more controlled. Your nafs is imprisoned in the prison of siyam, so your ruh ascends. Your ruh is given the opportunity to lead the way and to be nourished and uh, uh, to be more connected to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that happens when we remove the veil of desire. The opportunity for the heart to come to life increases. So then someone might say, okay, so how do I motivate that awareness? How do I bring this awareness to the heart? And this is the final section we'll cover in this lesson. Habib uh, Ahmed bin Zain, he tells us, he gives us this really systematic, it's quite beautiful. This is what you need to do in order to permanently have tawbah. This is what you need to do. In order to get there, you need to have this motivating cause that comes to your heart. This is what that means. Then he tells us these are the ways to invite that uh, awareness, uh, ways to bring that motivation that brings awareness to your heart. So then he says, and whoever desires the aforementioned, then, and then he gives us a few steps. The first thing to motivate, the first of the ways to motivate this awareness, he says is that you should frequently sit with scholars of the religion, ulama al-deen. And these are Al-ulama al-aminin, the scholars who act upon their knowledge. Al-mutahaqiqeen, those who are realized in knowledge. Those who are people who have embodied the prophetic way inwardly and outwardly. Whose hearts are hearts that are witnessing and immersed in the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He describes them further. He says, those who invite to the way of their Lord, the way of the Lord of the worlds, through their states and words, through the state of their being, that they say, The eloquence, the mute eloquence of your state is actually speaks louder than your words. We say that in English, you know, actions speak louder than words, but even before actions are done, they have to emanate from states. So we believe that states speak louder than words. So those are the true people of Allah sitting with them, uh, looking at their examples, hearing their words. 
witnessing their akhlaq, seeing the way that they deal with all different kinds of people, which really reflects and represents the, the way of the Prophet and the many beautiful hadith that we read about his treatment of children, his mercy with his wives and family, the way that he even dealt with patiently and mercifully with his enemies. So that's the first step is being in the company of the righteous. And those people exist in every time. And a lot of people sometimes say, where do I begin? You begin by asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to grant you uh, to know who they are and to be in their company. And just speaking from what the ulama are saying and even from personal experience, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like being in the company of the salihin. It is sweeter than all of the other things of the dunya. And it brings life to your heart and makes you want to be like them. Uh, uh, so that's the first thing. Frequently sitting with people of goodness, the scholars of religion, those who invite to the way of Allah through their states and words. Additionally, one should listen with presence of heart to the admonishments in the exalted Quran and in the hadiths of the noble Prophet The warnings. You know, someone was once asking, why are there so many warnings and why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, say these things? Is because sometimes people need to be shaken out of their slumber. It's a reality. And these warnings help you become more serious and help you take your life and your time more seriously. As Habib Hussein was saying in the classes on the lives of man that every breath of your breaths is a priceless jewel that can never be returned once it is gone. So you think about that. You think about the warnings that you receive and it makes you take advantage of it. And that motivates the heart. That awakens the heart. The next thing he mentions is to reflect abundantly on death. How many people have we heard about those that we might know, uh, those that might be friends of friends, uh, relatives, distant relatives, people that we know who've passed away in recent times, within these past few months, those that we didn't think were going to pass away, who were healthy, who were doing well. How many people passed away from other than corona and COVID and this virus? They passed away from other diseases or from other accidents, reflect abundantly on death. Death is real. And one of, the, uh, one of the unfortunate things is that most Muslims think that death is this terrible thing and that the grave is a terrible place intrinsically. That's not the case. That for those who prepare for their meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who love to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, those who believe and engage in righteous deeds, those who seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and flee to Allah, those who love the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam and love all of the Prophets and Messengers and love the Sahaba and love the Ahlul Bayt and love the Salihin, the family of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and love the righteous, people who uh, have those attachments and those connections, their life in the grave will be one of bliss, be better than this world. Which is why the Salihin, they look forward. The Prophet ﷺ informed us of this, that when a righteous person is taken to their grave, the people who are carrying that person cannot hear them. But in the unseen world, the reality is that that person is saying, hasten, quickly, quickly take me to my grave because I am waiting. I have been looking forward to finding what I have prepared and put forth waiting for me in my grave. So reflecting abundantly on death. It's seriousness and uh, the weightiness of that reality and that we cannot escape it, but also preparing for it, yearning for the meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yearning to meet the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yearning to see those righteous deeds, inshallah, waiting for you in the grave. The next piece of advice from the author is to internalize and take the lesson from the death of brothers, companions, and neighbors. This goes back to the previous point. How many people younger than you 
have passed away. How many people who are at the same stage of life that you are at, that their children are about the same age as your children, for example, or that they're younger or older, or a friend of yours from school or work passed away, or a neighbor, or someone you know, or someone uh, you thought well of, or some, a relative and so forth, you see that they've passed. Internalize and take the lesson. Ya Allah, if that happened to them, couldn't it happen to me? Am I safe from that? Am I guaranteed that that will not happen to me? No, I'm not. And I have all these hopes and dreams. We all do. And I uh, assume that all of those hopes and dreams will be realized. I want to see uh, you know, my children grow up. And that inshallah Allah makes them of the righteous. I want to uh, experience certain things, hopes and dreams. But the reality is that not every hope and dream will be realized in this world, will be witnessed in this world. So internalizing and taking that lesson and saying, Ya Allah, I understand the wisdom of what you're telling me. Ya Allah, make the best of my days the day that I meet you. And when you internalize that lesson, it motivates your heart. They say the two most powerful medicines for removing rust from the heart is one, the recitation of the Qur'an and internalizing the lessons from the Qur'an. They say two is visiting the graveyards, visiting the cemetery, and seeing there's a lot of people buried here. There are a lot of people who have passed away. And if you look closely, you'll see people, the majority of people were older, but then you'll find a few graves of young people. You'll find a few graves of babies and children. You start to realize death comes at its appointed time and there's no guarantee for me. So I need to prepare for my meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala today, right now, this moment. The next piece of advice that helps motivate the heart is remember the judgment, standing in judgment judgment before Al-Malik al-Dayyan, the king, the sovereign, the judge, that you will stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That we will stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If someone, just in a worldly sense, this is just a reality, and we recall these examples or we use these metaphors just to help us wake up. And I'm speaking to myself, not uh, assuming anything negative about anyone else. I know my own shortcomings and my own flaws. If someone told you today, you got a call and said, the police want to interview you about, about a case. They want to interrogate you, not even interview you. If someone just said, if they said they want to interview you, honestly, I'd be worried. What's that all about? How are they going to ask me? And then if someone told me, you're going to be interrogated. And then if someone said, actually, you're not only going to be interrogated, you're the one who's on trial. You're the defendant. And you're going to be judged. By what? By other created beings. It would scare most of us. Even if we know that we're innocent it would scare most of us then what about when we stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we know that we're guilty of many things we know that we've committed ma many errors as Sayyidul Istighfar we say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I acknowledge your blessing upon me Ya Allah you have bestowed numerous innumerable blessings if i tried to even fathom and understand and contemplate one blessing one blessing to its full depth i would not be able to do that and i acknowledge my sin despite the fact that you've given me all of those blessings ya allah i make mistakes i disobey you i use those blessings to disobey you that we remember that and Sayyidul Istighfar reminds us of that. So we remember that we're going to stand before Allah. And if every human being in the world judged us, 
and they used all of their power and their might and their intimidation in that judgment against us, it would be nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's majesty. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his mercy. Ya Allah, we turn to you. Ya Arhamar Rahimin. Ya Arhamar Rahimin. Ya Arhamar Rahimin. We ask you, Ya Allah, that you enter us into the sphere of your mercy and that you make us of those who seek your forgiveness and who are granted your mercy. Ya Akram al Akramin. But remembering and imagining that actually one of the great uh, manifestations, one of the very miraculous and overwhelming events of the Day of Judgment as insha'Allah we'll learn about in the lessons with Habib Hussein, is when we witness the scales. That actually the scales of our deeds, they're not just like normal scales. They're scales of the Akhirah. They are manifestations of a greater reality to come. Such that the Prophet ﷺ informed us when people see the scales, they'll be overwhelmed. So those are the scales. What about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala questioning us? And we'll be questioned on such and such day, on such and such place. You did this thing. You said this. You said that. And Allah tells us in the Quran that the people will say, مَا لِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ لَا يُغَادِرُ صَغِيرَةً وَلَا كَبِيرَةً إِلَّا أَحْصَاهَا What is it about this book of, of deeds, this record, there is no action, neither small nor large, except that it's contained in this record. It's contained in this book of deeds. Nothing escapes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then people will be ashamed of even the smallest thing that they did, disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So remembering that. The next piece of advice he says is, adherence to the remembrance of the hereafter reflect on its permanence and on the quick passing of the world and its eventual non-existence it will return to adam it will return it came from non-existence allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought it from nothingness and it will return to nothingness and the akhirah is the true life it will never end by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's continuing to sustain it it will never end so think about that. Remember the akhirah. Remember the hereafter. Then he says, have continuous attentiveness to the Lord. Continuously remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Continuously turn back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Continuously remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? That you dawam free yourself of all other responsibilities so that you can constantly focus on your Lord the most generous the most uh, beneficent subhanahu wa ta'ala the benefactor the tremendous and the author tells us these beautiful names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in stirring within us this yearning and dedication to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How do we have that continuous attentiveness and focus on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? He says, through returning to Him, always returning to Him in tawbah, seeking His forgiveness, weeping and having brokenness before Him. As I believe it's Imam Al-Aidarus Al-Akbar, one of the great Imams uh, of Islam. He said, He said, if you want Allah, the Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala, to grant you a special purification of the heart, an inward purity of heart and soul that opens up all the doors of knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of the various degrees of sweetness of iman, of witnessing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you want that purification that removes all of the vile and filth from the nafs, so that your heart is shining and it receives from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you want that, it says, Then the way that you achieve that and attain that is being broken before your Lord in the middle of the night. That one tear that is shed out of humility and brokenness before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is valuable 
that one tear, you will be amazed at seeing its manifestation and weight on those scales, Yom Al-Qiyamah. The effect of that on your heart will open up doors of nearness uh, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's another thing that will motivate the heart. And we see that in Ramadan, we see that in the special days when we have more time that we dedicate to Allah and we feel our lowliness before Allah and our heart becomes softened and we shed a tear, that that is a moment of safa. That's a moment where it's almost as if nothing else in the world exists. And you are before your Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala and that's a great gift from Allah. And then finally, last but definitely not least, definitely not least, never to be underestimated, he says, send abundant peace and blessings upon Allah's chosen prophet sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. That salawat ala Sayyidina Rasulullah, sending peace and blessings upon the Prophet there are volumes and volumes of books dedicated to the spiritual benefits of sending Allah's peace and blessings and mercy upon his beloved Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sallam. And just to give you an idea of what that really means, just a very, a very succinct glimpse into that is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. And Allah tells us in the Qur'an, إِنَّ اللَّهَ وَمَلَائِكَتَهُ يُصَلُّونَ عَلَى النَّبِيِّ Truly, surely, Allah and His angels send blessings upon the Prophet. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yusalli ala Sayyidina Rasulullah. Allah sends this peace and blessings upon the Messenger of Allah. When you invoke Allah's peace and blessings upon the Messenger of Allah, Allah is sending that peace and blessings and mercy upon His beloved. It is as if you are now taking part in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's love of His beloved Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa wasallam. Allah, the Lord of the worlds, and the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa the greatest beloved, the greatest of all creation. We really have no place in even uh, uh, being part of this divine grace that Allah bestows upon the Prophet Muhammad But when you send salawat upon him, it is as if Allah is giving you the opportunity to be included in that love. It's as if Allah is giving you the opportunity to be included in that special love and relationship that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And that will open up great doors for your heart. Never, it can never be underestimated. And in addition to that, or along with that, the author says, as well as caring for the weak and poor through providing them and giving them charity and showing them compassion and gentleness. That also has a profound impact on the heart and will motivate the heart to have more awareness and remove the veil of desire so that it receives that motivation to return to Allah in repentance. And then finally the author says, and Allah guides whom He wills to the straight path. Allah guides whom He wills to the straight path. Allahumma ihdina sirat al-mustaqeem. Oh Allah, guide us to the straight path. صِرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ The path of those that you have blessed غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ Not those that have incurred wrath وَلَا الضَّالِّينَ Nor those who are astray آمين إِنَّهُ أَكْرَمُ الْأَكْرَمِينَ وَأَرْحَمُ الرَّاحِمِينَ وصلى الله تعالى على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين الحمد لله رب العالمين Inshallah now we'll try to answer a few of the questions uh, related to this class So there's a question from, I believe, uh, that wasn't addressed in the previous lessons. When someone feels that they are not committing any grave sins, they may fall into complacency and not focus on repentance. How does one avoid this state? One of the things that we talked about, I believe, in the first lesson is that the person who is most in need of repentance is someone who doesn't think that they need to repent. 
So that's number one. But number two is maybe a person is not committing grave sins. Maybe they're not engaging. Alhamdulillah, maybe they've been able to desist from all of those things and be in a righteous environment and so forth. So how do they not fall into complacency? One of the things to realize is even at that level that your tawbah, your repentance, should not be focused on uh, just the performance or the committing of sins. But at that point, if a person has achieved that, their tawbah should be focused on their inability to worship Allah with the degree of excellence that He is due. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when a person realizes that, then there's no end to that repentance. Which is why the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the most perfected servant, the Abdullah al-Kamil Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Habibur Rahman, Safwatul Al-Bari, Salawatullahi Wasallamu Alaihi, that even he would ask Allah for forgiveness from this perspective that always witnessing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is deserving of more. And there's no end to that because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, we can never give him what he is due. Even if Allah, like in the case of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in every moment he's raised in ever higher degrees, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is absolute and infinite. وَلَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ So that can go on infinitely. So the way to avoid that state is to focus on what Allah is deserving of uh, and the higher degrees of the righteous, they always feel greater and greater degrees of their own shortcomings in regards to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is deserving of. And they never say, okay, khalas, I've given Allah everything he is due and I have nothing to ask him for forgiveness for. No, it's actually quite the opposite. Now, this is a good question. Uh, someone said, living alone with no circles of remembrance locally, could watching a live stream provide my soul ta'aluf with other souls and be nourished in a remote circle of remembrance? That... Uh, uh, Someone is saying, if I'm alone and I don't have the opportunity to be in gatherings of remembrance, could watching a live stream, a live stream uh, be a means of being connected to those gatherings? Uh, what I have heard from scholars is that that is uh, what a person should do until they're able to be with the righteous. So number one, if you're alone or you're in a location that doesn't have gatherings of remembrance, this is a very good resource. And we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for subjugating these means and facilitating that for us. This is a very good resource to be connected to the righteous, to be connected to those gatherings, to be connected to gatherings of knowledge and remembrance. So it is very good. And inshallah, uh, those who attend with sincerity and wish that they could be there and have adab, uh, inshallah, they will receive a great portion. And someone who watches a live stream, let's say for example, there's higher degrees of adab even in a live stream. Someone who watches a live stream of a gathering of remembrance, for example, or a gathering of knowledge. And they're in a state of wudu even though they're at home. That they're covered in a way that is dignified, the way that they would probably dress had they actually had the opportunity to be present in that gathering that uh, uh, they face the qibla, even though they might be watching it on their laptop or their tablet or otherwise, they try to face the qibla. And they have all of these considerations, having adab with Allah and having adab with the gathering that they're following. That person, inshallah, will receive a lot. There might be someone like that who yearns to be with the salihin and yearns to be in these gatherings of remembrance, and there might be someone in the physical gathering of remembrance who's on their phone or who has a side conversation and whose heart is in a totally different valley altogether. The person who's watching and wishing that they could be in those gatherings 
will probably receive more, wallahu a'lam, than someone who's in that gathering and their heart is somewhere else. Right? So inshallah, it will be uh, a very good supplement and resource. But it should not be something that we uh, become complacent with, that we suffice ourselves with. We say, oh Allah, this is my tayammum. This is my wudu, that my ablution that I'm doing with earth when I don't have water. But as soon as the water comes, then the tayammum is no longer valid. As soon as you have the opportunity to be in those gatherings, when you have the opportunity to visit the righteous, when you have the opportunity with body and soul to be with them, you take that opportunity seriously, keeping the uh, proprieties of the sharia in mind and following the sunnah and the commandments of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in achieving that. And whoever does that and has adab, inshallah, Allah is the most generous. Naam. So a person said, there is the beginning of repentance. What is the end of repentance? There is no end to the realization and the ma'rifah and the knowledge that one receives in these, uh, in these maqamat, in these stations of certitude. So once again, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa is uh, uh, at the highest degrees of nearness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, yet he continued to turn to him. And that goes back to what we were talking about in terms of when you realize, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opens to your heart even greater degrees of witnessing him, and you realize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's infinite perfection, you cannot fully realize that. But when you realize a greater degree of that, you start to realize that everything I've done before, it falls short. So you turn back to Allah and you seek His forgiveness. So from that perspective, there's no end to it. There's a question here. Does meditation also help motivate the heart towards repentance in some way? Uh, you know, this word meditation is a very loaded word. What do, what do I mean by that? Is that it means different things for different people. So it's very hard to define. And I'm not sure what the questioner means here by meditation. We already have words within our books and our sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and the way of our pious predecessors that actually suffice us above and beyond the need to use uh, words that really apply to other uh, traditions and other maybe even religions depending on what one means by it. But if we talk about reflection, the author, Habib Ahmed bin Zayn al-Habashi, he said, reflecting abundantly on death, reflecting on what happens to one's friends and companions and brothers and sisters and neighbors, reflecting on the nature of the world, helping those in need, showing mercy to others, listening to the Qur'an, visiting the graveyards, taking to heart, allowing the heart, to, uh, allowing the Qur'an to pierce through the obstacles and the layers and the veils and the crust around the heart so that it reaches the soul. Uh, all of those things come with reflection. All of those things come with uh, thinking deeply and contemplating the Qur'an and the ahadith and the signs around us in life. So from that perspective, that definitely motivates the heart towards repentance. Wallahu a'lam. We'll see if there are any other questions, and then if not, inshallah, we can call it a night. Allahumma lak alhamd. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. I don't see any other questions. So inshallah, uh, we will stop here. And we'll continue, inshallah, tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock Eastern, inshallah, uh, with this lesson again, the next lesson in Remedy for the Hearts. And uh, we pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses you wherever you are, and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gazes upon us with mercy, and that He sends His merciful 
uh, his merciful motivation to our hearts and makes us of those who worship him with excellence and makes us of those who are brought closer to him through the gentle mercies that he sends us and not necessarily through and not through the chains of tribulation and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes us of those who follow the guidance of Sayyid al-Akwan sallallahu alayhi wa the master of all creation, the foremost and preeminent of all the prophets and messengers who taught us the most preeminent formula for seeking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.